may be seated. Praise God. <laughs> Thank you, Scott. Thank you so much. And aren't you glad for God's focus? Glad that he sees beyond our faults, sees our need. Thank God for that need being met eternally in Jesus Christ, our Lord. It's a perfect bridge for what on my heart to share with you this morning, uh, today, and for next several Sundays, we won't talk about having a focus, being refocused as a church, church refocused. And nothing can refocus us more than recognizing that God's focus of grace is upon us. I want you to turn your Bibles this morning to Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. We'll be there in just a few minutes, and that's on page 822, if you'd like to use a Bible that's provided for you. And as you're turning there, I want to say to you, happy birthday. You don't look like double nickels to me, I want you to know. But this is the anniversary Sunday. This is the 55th birthday of our church. It was 55 years ago this Sunday in 1961 that uh, nine people, nine adults, a few children gathered for the founding of uh, this, uh, this church. Started as just a Bible study and then gathering on Sunday mornings for worship uh, in a small home on Coleman Road off Lonish Road down near Wise Garber, you know where that is located. And we thank God for the faith of those people who stepped out then and for God's faithfulness. I was just overwhelmed singing that song this morning. Great is thy faithfulness, right? God is so faithful. He's been so faithful to us as a, as a church through these many years. And so we celebrate uh, today uh, God's 55 years of faithfulness, and also I thought here on Anniversary Sunday would be a great time for us to celebrate a new life, to celebrate the new beginning of the new church that has started from us just a few weeks ago. Most of you know about 150 of our fellow members here. God raised them up, led them out with the leadership of pastors, Jared Raby, Derek Grizz, to start Emmanuel Church. And they have just been forming, and actually, uh, uh, somewhat officially, next Sunday is really the, the official launch of this church. But I thought it'd be good, as we have our anniversary uh, Sunday here and celebrate, that we'd just hear a word from uh, Jared and Derek about uh, what God is doing there. And, and so I want you to watch this, if you would, just for a few moments, please. Obviously, 
to your staff and vision of the main church. So we've been putting together team studies set up, uh, children's ministry, assimilation team, uh, guest services team, hospitality team, worship team. Every last part is coming together under the Pioneer team. One of the first things we do, we unroll a huge part out on the gym floor to make sure it's protected, and then we start putting down chairs, setting up sound equipment, putting instruments in place. And as we're setting up the gym, um, some of our folks are down the hallway setting up children's ministry areas, and we're outfitting those with mats and tables and chairs and toys, all the things you would find in any children's ministry area. So how do people find out about New Church? Well, a couple ways. First, through our pioneer team, they have been thinking about training about folks that they're in the last that they can invite. And so over the next few weeks, we'll be reaching out to those people and inviting them to join us. Uh, the other way is just kind of typical promotion uh, means. We have uh, ads that will go up online. Uh, we'll be putting out some signs that you'll see in the community. We'll do a mailer, so little things like that, just to get the word out so people know that we're there. So how can we pray for the name of church as we move towards the launch? Well, first, pray for our pioneer team. Pray for these folks that they'll be able to share the vision of the name of church. Pray that they'll be alive in their community. Also, pray for the community. Pray for those folks in Fairy that need the gospel. That need to connect to the main church. Pray that they'll find out about us. And third, pray for our team as we still work out some logistics of bringing the church to the middle school. There's still a set of plans to be worked out, equipment to be purchased, and we appreciate your prayers. Also, we'd love to invite you to connect with us online. If you want to like our Facebook page or follow us on Twitter, that's actually really helpful. And the more people that connect with us online, the more people that will encounter the name of church. And plus, you can see weekly updates and pictures, and you can get to know us that way and keep praying for us. So we invite you to do that. Uh, just visit us at manualknox.org. And thanks again, bless Mark, for all your prayers, your love, your support, your generosity. We are honored to be your partner in the gospel. Well, let's give praise to the Lord for that. Amen. Thank you. Amen. That, that is so exciting. And uh, just watching the setup, that was amazing. I've known some of those people for a long time. I've never seen them move so quickly. That was tremendous. But we are very, very grateful for this new vision, for this brand new church, Emmanuel Church. And as you saw, uh, next Sunday is the official beginning of uh, that new church. And as uh, the Lord Jesus uh, waits his coming, who can tell in the days and months and years ahead what God is going to do through, through that church? How exciting it is for us to be a part of that. And we just celebrate that, that new vision. And also, as we are celebrating that new vision of Emmanuel Church, it's an opportunity for us uh, to have renewed vision. 
I, I would call it refocused vision. That's the reason I uh, asked the folks in our graphics team to make the front of the bulletin look like it looks here this morning. Just want you to know that's not out of focus, that's actually in focus for what I wanted, is that it's a time for us as West Park here in this anniversary of the launching of our church. It is a season, I really believe, and we believe as pastors, for us as a church to be refocused, refocused on what God has for us, church refocused. And when we say church there, we're talking about West Park. We're talking about us as a body of believers being refocused for the next season that the Lord has for us, the next season he has for us. And I think the best way for us to refocus is to refocus with Jesus. I think Jesus helps us see things clearly, don't you? And it's best to refocus with the vision of Jesus. What I really would like us to do over these next few Sundays is to refocus and just make sure that as, as a church and as individual members of the church, that we refocus, we realign ourselves with Christ. We realign ourselves with the vision that he has for his church communicated to us in the New Testament. And I can think of no better moment where Jesus gave clear focus about the church than here in Matthew chapter 16. So I'm going to ask you if you would look there, Matthew chapter 16, where Jesus shared his focus for his church. I hope that this will be a foundation for where we want to go in the weeks ahead as we think about church refocused. Matthew chapter 16, let's read together. You follow along verses 13 through 20. Matthew 16, verses 13 through 20. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the son of man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Church refocused, refocused on this great vision. Now I want you, as we just look at this passage this morning and also prepare our hearts for our time of communion together as a church body, 
I want us to take just a few moments to make sure we understand the historic situation that's taken place here. This is a very historic situation. When we read this passage, Jesus has been carrying out his public ministry for nearly three years. It's been an amazing, astounding public ministry of the power of God. But also in those three years, Jesus has been involved in a very private and intentional and personal ministry. The Bible tells us at the very beginning, he chose 12 that they might be with him, that he might send them out to preach. And for these three years, he has been pouring himself into these 12 men and to a other small band of believers. And now when we come here to this passage, Jesus knows the time of his passion. That is the time of his sacrifice, the time of his humiliation and the time of his glorification has come nigh. And so he is about to turn from Galilee and head to the south toward Jerusalem. But first, before Jesus takes his disciples south toward Jerusalem, he takes them north. And he takes these, these disciples, this small band of followers, to the most unlikely place you could have imagined in that day. He took them, we're told in verse 13, to Caesarea Philippi. Now Caesarea Philippi was a, a city, a town in the northern part of Israel. It was named in honor of Augustus Caesar. It was named in honor of Caesar by Herod the Great because Augustus Caesar had given to him that land. And so in order to honor Augustus Caesar, the king of the Jews built a temple at this location. He built a temple there at the site of the ancient worship near a cave that was called Banyas or Panyas or Pan, named after the god Pan of mythology, who was considered to be the god of the wild, the god of nature, the god of the woods. And so Herod the Great built a fabulous temple to honor Caesar Augustus as one of the gods in human form. And then Herod's son, Philip, the Tetrarch, the Herod of the time of John the Baptist and Jesus, he greatly expanded this area and in order to honor himself a little bit, he, he named it Caesarea Philippi, Caesarea of, of Philip. And it was, friends, in that entire region it was the shrine of paganism. It was the shrine of paganism. It was considered at that cave from ancient times was considered to be one of the entrances to the underworld. 
It, it was actually known as the gates of Hades. The gates of Hades. And imagine, this is where Jesus chose of all places to take his disciples before he headed to Jerusalem, his crucifixion and his resurrection. Now the reason he took them there, of course, is because at this place, this shrine of paganism, this place known as the gates of Haiti is where Jesus had chosen to make a timeless revelation. A revelation to his disciples and a revelation for all of his disciples for all of the ages right down to this moment to us as disciples of Jesus. Now notice how Jesus prepares this revelation. He's about to make this incredible revelation and he does it by posing a question. He asks a question. He asks, you saw this question, who do men say that the son of man is? The son of man. Now his disciples knew that was a messianic title from the Jewish scriptures. The son of man was a title for Messiah. It's actually the title that Jesus used for himself more than any other title. He referred to himself as the son of man. So he's asking the question, who do people say that I, the son of man, am? Who do they say I am? And they began to answer. They said, well, some say you're John the Baptist because there was rumor that John was raised from the dead in the, in the life of Jesus and Herod in his paranoia believed this. Some say you're Elijah because it was prophesied that Elijah would come before the Messiah, before the coming of the king. Elijah would return. And some say, you're Jeremiah. Because according to Jewish tradition, based on a, a book known as Maccabees, it's not a part of the scripture, but it's a historical book written between the Testaments. According to the tradition of Maccabees, Jeremiah had hidden the Ark of the Covenant and the lampstand from the temple before the Babylonians took Jerusalem captive. And according to, to tradition, Jeremiah would return just before Messiah and he would reveal where the Ark of the Covenant and the lampstand was located so that there could be a reinstitution of true worship preceding Messiah. So they said, some say that you're Jeremiah. But then Jesus poses the next question. But who do you, and that's the emphasis, who do you say that I am? I want to know who you say that I am. And of course, as we've read, Peter speaks first, 
naturally, right? Peter speaks first with his great confession. Peter says, you are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. You are God's Christ. You are the Messiah, the anointed one. And you are God's son. You are God's son. You are divine. You are God himself among us. And then Jesus makes his great declaration in response to what Peter has just said. He says, blessed. Blessed are you. How blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonas. For flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. That means human reasoning, human ability and insight did not reveal this to you. What was revealed? That Jesus was the Christ, the Son of God. And you are blessed, Peter. You are blessed because God has revealed this to you. You never would have figured it out on yourself, by yourself. And then Jesus says, you are Peter. He says, you're Simon, son of Jonah. You're blessed. And I tell you, you are Peter. That's the nickname he gave to Jesus, Petros. And it means, you, of course, you know, a stone. You are Petros, a stone. And upon this rock, Petra, there's a play on words. You are Petros, a stone, and upon this Petra, Petra meaning a huge slab, a huge foundation, I will build my church. Now what is he saying? He is not saying that Peter himself is the foundation of the church. No, he, he's referring to what Peter has just said. He's referring to what has been revealed to Peter by the heavenly father. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. It is on this revelation, this truth of Jesus Christ, of God in Christ, that he says, I will build my church. I will build my church. Church here means congregation, assembly. These followers of Jesus were very familiar with the idea. It's not been expanded as it's going to be in the New Testament epistles, but they very clearly understood this means my assembly, my gathering, my congregation. I'm going to build my congregation on this rock-like revelation that has been granted to you about me. And then he said, the gates of hell. Now remember, where are they standing? They're standing at the gates of hell. The word here is Hades, the underworld. It represents the kingdom of the dead, the kingdom of darkness. The gates of Hades, what do gates mean? Gates mean authority. The gates of the underworld, the gates of the dark kingdom of Satan. They will not be able to 
stand. They won't be able to prevail against my church. They will not be able to stand against. And it's not the idea that gates are assaulting the church. That would really be mixing the metaphor, wouldn't it? We're, we're coming at you with gates. No. It's not the gates of hell assaulting the church. It's the church assaulting the gates of hell. It is Jesus in this great confession of his people, in the work of his grace, he is going to build his church and the very authority of hell will not be able to stand against it. Why? Because Jesus overcame the power of Hades when he died and rose again, right? He has the key. You read in the Revelation, it says that Jesus has the keys of death and Hades in his hands. Now look where the keys are. Look back at our text here. He says, verse 19, I give to you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. I give to you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. The keys here means authority. It means the authority open and the authority to close. It means the authority to loose, to release, and the authority to bind. It, it means the authority to represent Christ. The authority to speak in God's name. And it's not given to Peter alone. It, it is a mistake to think that Peter himself has the keys to the kingdom. He does not. He gives this keys, these keys of the kingdom to the church. And you see that in Matthew chapter 18, a little bit later, when Jesus talks about how the church is to deal with those who will not respond to guidance and counseling and show themselves to be outside of the body of Christ. He gives the power of the church to speak. It's interesting the way it's written here literally. Whatever you bind on earth shall have already been bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall already have been bound, loosed in heaven. Future perfect, very rare. And it means that the church has the privilege of saying what God says. And representing him in the presence of the gates of hell. Wow. Now think of the scene, think of this revelation. The heart of paganism, Jesus is standing there, a disciple makes a confession about who he is. Jesus makes this great declaration. And now what I wanna ask you folks, are these just words from the past? It's an amazing scene. It's an astounding scene. It's an incredible revelation. But are these just words from the past? And I hope inside of you, everything is saying, and it would be okay if out loud you would say to that question, what? No. 
No, these words are true. Listen, these words are true today or Christ is false. And Jesus isn't false. These words are true. Now the question is, friends, for us. Will we experience these truths? Things can be true and not experienced. Will these words be a living force in our life? Will they be living words of God in us? Will they be a living focus for us? Will these words of Jesus be the foundation of our church? Will they be the focus of our lives collectively? Will they be the focus of our lives as individuals? And that's the reason I think it's good to be refocused, don't you? To be refocused. Now, how do we refocus ourselves on this great, great revelation of Christ? How do we refocus ourselves as his church, as his people? Well, what I'd like to do and build on this in the weeks ahead, but let me begin there as we prepare for communion this morning. We, we, we refocus with a present and personal application. Friends, you've got to make this present tense and personal. I hope you know, listen carefully, it's impossible for the living God to say anything in the past tense. Because God's words are his words and he's the living God and his words are alive. These are present tense words and we can make them the application of our lives and they refocus us. And what do they refocus us for? Well, think about this this morning. I see this, that these words, this statement of Jesus refocus us, us for a great clarity, for a great sense of clarity. I want to ask you something. Doesn't Jesus' question clarify everything? Things get real clear when you ask the right questions. Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Now, how many of you understand that when Jesus asks a question, it's not because he needs information. <laughs> it's like Jesus is not saying, help me out here a little. No, Jesus doesn't ask a question. Listen, he doesn't ask a question for information. He asks a question for our personal transformation. And so he asks the question, who do you say that I am. Really, who am I to you? Brings everything into focus. For us as a church here at West Park on this, our anniversary Sunday, for this new season of our church as we have launched out a significant number of our folks to begin a new church as you've seen earlier. What a great question. Who is Jesus to us? Are, are we really determined to be about Jesus, come what may? Is our church going to be 
truly a church, a people who are at the very core are about Jesus. For each of us, who is Jesus to you? Who is he to you, really? These are not just words. This is not just saying, oh yeah, I learned that. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. No, it's, it, it's not just having the knowledge. It is the true reality that that is in your heart, has gripped your heart. For me, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Let that sink in. That, that clarifies everything. That, that, that makes Jesus no longer an, an add-on to our life. Jesus isn't an app so that our operating system is simplified. No, think about it. The greatest athlete in Great Britain, about 140 years ago, was a man by the name of C.T. Studd. Greatest athlete in Great Britain, most noted, and also one of the wealthiest young men in all of England. But he gave it all away in the world's eyes. He gave away his entire inheritance to go and be a missionary because he sensed that was the call of God on his life. And people told him, what sacrifice, what sacrifice you're making. And here is what he said. He said this, here's the quote. If Christ be God, if Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. If Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. And he was also known to say, don't talk to me about sacrifice. I have sacrificed nothing. Who is Jesus to us? And we don't have to be afraid of that. When we think about Jesus asking us that question, who am I to you? You don't have to be afraid of that because you know why? Because there's that great focus of joy. When we answer that way, we get a great, a great sense of joy. Jesus was, he was joy filled by what? Peter said, Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And it's like Jesus said, Peter, yes, yes, Peter, you are blessed. You have been graced by God. You didn't figure this out by yourself. Peter, God has chosen you. Peter, God has opened your eyes. You are blessed. That really is the sense in which Jesus said this. Friends, we need to refocus what it means that in Christ is true joy. True joy in Christ. 
Jesus sent out the disciples reaching and healing, sharing the gospel, and they returned saying, Master, we've been out on your mission, and you know what? Even the demons are subject to us. Even the demons have to do what we say. You remember Jesus' response? He said, I tell you, do not rejoice that the demons are subject to your authority, but rejoice in this, that your names are written in the book of life. Now that's something to be joyful about. You see, for us, as followers of Christ, joy is not in power, but joy is in the incredible grace of Christ that he has made himself known to us. My friends, we need to refocus our source, our source of joy. It's great to have joy. I want to tell you, there was joy in Mudville last night, right? Knoxville, Tennessee. I saw someone before I got to church this morning. I said, what a beautiful day. And he said, the sun came up in blazing orange. That's great. Man, some of you, your ears are still ringing from being there. Someone had sent out on Twitter a statement saying, in Knoxville, Tennessee, this will be the best church attendance in 11 years. (laughs) I've never seen so much orange in my life in a service. But you know, that's that's great. It's wonderful to, to be celebrating your team, if that's your team. And if it's not your team, I would really stay quiet about it. (laughs) But you know, shouldn't we, we, shouldn't we have some joy about the victories in Jesus? My word. If, If we can get excited about a football game and the joy of our team winning, how we should rejoice in the victories of our Jesus. Great sense of joy. How are you going to receive communion this morning? Is it going to be a religious observance? Is it going to be a little juice and a cracker? Or is it going to be, thank you, Lord Jesus. You opened my eyes. You found me. You brought me to yourself. And I am part of your communion. I am part of your church. And Jesus, you are everything to me. You are my Christ. You are the son of the living God. Let's bow our heads. So our heads are bowed. I ask our friends that are going to serve us to come and I ask we prepare our hearts now, friends. May this truly be the expression.
of the reality of the one that God has made known to us, Jesus, our Christ, our King. And may we rejoice. May this be true celebration of joy that we are part of the communion, the communion of the saints, the communion of the chosen ones of God. Friend, I pray that today, above all things, you'll know and that you will make certain that these words are not just on a page, but they're written in your heart, the testimony of your faith. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God.
That night, the Lord Jesus, as he shared the Passover meal with his disciples, he also took bread, he blessed it, he broke it, he shared it with them. He said, this is my body, which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. those who are serving us to stand as we receive the cup now representing the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ.
I can tell you where I'd be Wandering down some pointless road to nowhere With my salvation up to me I know how that would go The battles I would face Forever running but losing the race Were it not for grace So here is all my praise Expressed with all my heart Offered to the friend Who took my place And ran a course I could not start And when he saw in full Just how much his love would cost He still went the final mile Between me and heaven So I would not be lost Were it not for grace I can tell you abounded grace has superabounded. 
Jesus took the cup, he blessed it. He said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Drink all of it. Let us stand, church, before the presence of our Lord, giving him thanks on this anniversary Sunday for his faithfulness to us. And now may we be faithful to him. May we determine with his grace that we will faithfully represent him and that our lives will be his. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think according to his power that is working in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout the ages and the people of God said, Amen. Amen. God bless you, my friends. Have a blessed day. Hope we'll see many of you at the picnic this afternoon. God bless you. God bless you, brother. How are you? How are you doing? Okay.